Today, we welcome Alex Verrill, the CRO at Multiverse, an organization founded by Ewan Blair. Multiverse is on a mission to change the future of work. Alex has had an illustrious career, having been the GVP at Zscaler and previously mentored by the one and only Carlos Delatore over at MongoDB, which was actually his entry point into the playbook community. In this episode, we discuss the evolution of the playbook, Alex's penny drop moment, the importance of recruiting the right people, and how to effectively keep your finger on the pulse as a CRO. This is his playbook. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's an absolute privilege to be joined by Alex Varel. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much for making your way all the way from America to join us today here you bet. In, our, in our new studio in Shoreditch. It's like three o'clock in the morning. Dallas time, so <laughs> a little, a little, uh, a little grace. Well, here. it's dark in here, and it looks dark outside because we are in the middle of winter. So uh, that yeah. probably works well. We'll, we'll <laughs> see how this goes. Absolutely. Well, Alex, by way of an introduction, you're currently CRO at Multiverse. So, first of all, actually, a big congratulation! It's your first kind of CRO gig, if you'd like. You know, it's it's, it's a huge, huge uh, role with Multiverse, uh, an organization that's on a, an amazing trajectory. Obviously, the, the the work that McCluskey and Jeremy Duggan have all, the, the foundations they've obviously laid. But in this podcast, what we want to really kind of focus on is talk a little bit about some of the changes we're seeing in the industry right now. You can see the new wave of CROs kind of coming through the ranks and, and growing and, and developing and taking the influence from the various kind of founding, the, the kind of the founding masters of this playbook. I suppose the first question I want to ask is, is there an old way and is there a new way? Wow. Okay. We're, we're jumping in the, the <laughs> deep end. He's got straight in deep there for you, Alex. Immediately. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, thank you for the hat. Uh, <laughs> pleasure. You can, you can tell, like, color-wise, this <laughs> it's is gonna match. There we go. a complete match. Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw this thing on here pretty soon. Thanks. Um, I, I don't know if there is um, if there's an old versus new way. I would say that, you know, there's, there's principles and approaches that are, like, tried and true. They've been tested in probably the most rigorous environments and settings. Um, COVID you know, I, I think it was a game changer from probably every way that you can look at personal and professional environments. And the blend of that was uh, was forced kind of immediately, right? With, <clears throat> with, with everybody being locked down and being remote and trying to accomplish the things that they needed to accomplish under all of those crazy dire circumstances. And I think like I, I'm not a psychoanalyst on this, by the way, nor nor am I a historian. Like I, I think a lot of folks became epidemiologists and economists during, <laughs> during yeah. COVID. Yeah. You know, I did too. Yeah. I became an expert pretty fast on <laughs> trying to figure out what the hell was going on. But um, so making light of a pretty serious time in our history. But there, I think there was a mindset shift during that time because it it was just. Um, it was wild. It was intense. It was, it was scary, and uh, and folks across all sorts of trades and professions had to deal with, you know, a unique set of circumstances. So this pressure and this blend of personal and professional that happened by force, um, I think, was just very, very intensified, and I think leadership during that time had a unique opportunity to step up 
and, and help people, right? Get through that time period and offer relief and reduce attachment. You know, there's um, Greg Faxon, last name Faxon, talks about intention and attachment and watch out for the danger zones of high attachment. Um, high attachment, attachment being, you know, happiness is derived from the outcome. And um, there is high attachment that kind of warps the, the reality as you perceive it, right? And so <clears throat> leadership is in a position during COVID to help people get through these difficult times and relate to people, I think on different levels, because it was just, you know, situationally really, really difficult. Maybe there's a difference there. It's a long-winded roundabout way, getting back to your question. Maybe there is a difference in people leadership. If you think about operational leadership, deal leadership, people leadership. I think there is a difference. Now, there's a, there's a connection where folks have gone through this difficulty together um, to varying degrees, and you now have an opportunity as a leader to, to help people drive through, through that kind of difficulty. You know, in that time, do you think you had to create more autonomy because of the environments that you're operating in, right? You're not as close, you're not in person, you know, understanding where your team is at any particular time and what activity they're focusing on. You know, there's there's probably a you know a, a line that you can cross in becoming, you know, too micromanagey if that is, if that is a a, a thing. It's worth But but is that you know and 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 how do you create that you know? Is there's obviously got to open up a, a lot more trust. There's a lot more autonomy and. You know, what's your thoughts on that? Was that part of what, you know, had to adapt I, and change? I don't know. I mean, I came, I guess what comes to mind is I, I came up where you, you had to be in the office every day. Yeah. Right? I couldn't imagine going back to my 20s and not having to show up at the office when when I had to show yeah. up, right? Like, and, and what I got from that, being in an office environment and kind of having to report in um, was was, you know, Great. It was awesome. It was very instructional and uh, got a ton of value out of that environment. You know, when when the lockdowns happened, your calendar was really 100% dedicated um, to, to work in a lot of ways because you weren't traveling, you weren't commuting, there weren't, you know, distractions in, in office, all those things. So it was more of an, it felt like for me at least, always on. And I already felt like I was always on mentally, right? Yeah. High attachment to, to work, um, which I, I think is something that, you know, I can talk about later, but that, that certainly evolved for me, right? Um, during that time. But there is, I think in this, um, maybe this new style or learnings from those years, there's probably more trust. There's more trust. I think people want that. Um, nobody wants to be micromanaged. And I, I don't know leaders that really truly in their heart want to micromanage somebody or a situation. This, this is a time, I think this is a moment where folks can really break through with great drive, determination, adaptability, and resilience. Um, and I talked about this this is the last podcast, by the way, that I'm, that I'm doing. <laughs> like, you know, You've been I, on a bit of a roll recently. Been, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, 
which is really cool. And but again, I, I make this comment, and um, I'm, I'm such a fan of like the people that you all have had on, and I, I love to listen and learn from 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 others. So I'll get the stuff off my chest, and then it's I got to get back to work. And, and, <laughs> we might have to take a bit leave for your yeah, foot true. there. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I want to go and let other folks have the stage. But there's a, a really interesting point right now where through that difficulty, folks that are breaking through that time period, the last few years, and kind of rising to the top, the cream is rising to the top. If you're driven, you're determined to get back to, you know, I think the way that it was. And part of that is borrowing from, if you're talking about maybe old guard, new guard, um, uh, borrowing from those old guard principles of just hard work, resilience, adaptability. And that's a great way to break through the noise and break through the crowd right now, I think. I want to really talk a little bit about what the new guard are doing and, you know, some of the subtle differences. But I do want to just kind of just revert back to the old guard. And the reason I want to do that is because... For many years, it was thought that in order for you to be able to scale organizations on that, to, to, to build organizations on that scale, you need that intensity, you need that rigor, you need that kind of, everything has to be very, very set and very regimented. And without it, it's impossible to do that. Do you agree with uh, that? I think it's, that's a good way to put it. And it goes back to your thing about micromanaging and autonomy. Micromanagy. Yeah, managing. <laughs> yeah. Watch, watch out, Miriam Webster. This is, uh, that's going to be a hot one for 2024. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's like, what are, we, what are you playing for? Like, what are you working for, right? Like, are we, are we playing for a championship in, a, in so many ways? Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, and I think it all starts there, whether it's, I, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know about the changing of guards. I think it's a really interesting thing. Um, and I do believe in new ways of leadership and new styles because of all the things that I've, I've babbled about in the last few years that were really tough. But most of the folks that, that you know, I'm aware of and the opportunities that are out there right now, they're, they're big potential outcomes. And so when you look at that, you know, you want to look back and say, hey, I don't want any boxes unchecked in terms of like preparation and execution, the way we rehearse, the way that we plan, the way that we go out there to market. Um, and so that, that rigor, I believe, and leaving very little, if anything, to chance is the right way to do it. Now, if we're just playing for like a if the metaphor fails or analogy fails, that's that's on me. But if we're playing for like some regional recreational championship, so to speak, then, okay, it could be a little bit loose, right? It can be a little bit loose and we're going to, you know, just do the best that we can do in so many ways, but the attachment won't be nearly that high. Okay. But in most cases, and what, what I like to play for and what I like to surround myself with, it's like to those big, big outcomes that affect a lot of people personally and professionally in a really positive way. What are you playing for? I, I mean, right now for me, I, you know, I, you mentioned like CRO and um, I've had semblances of that role before. And the last role that I was in at Zscaler was, that, that was a big job, mm -hmm. right? Um, I was really, really grateful for it and, um, and, you know, ready, willing, able to, to learn, but take that thing on all day, every day. I love it. Big, big responsibility. Um, I feel the same way, even in a smaller environment, right? 
there is an opportunity, I think, for me now, and I see this in a lot of people, to satisfy more in the category of doing well for the world. And I don't, I don't mean it like in a, in a, you know, virtuous Tony Robbins way, although I love him and <laughs> I love good virtue, but now I feel like, you know, can I, can I still pursue a large market solving the problem really um, provides a ton of value back to the customer, but can I do that with a big commercial opportunity and do well in the world? That, that for me is, that's, that's what I'm up to. Is that in your frame of reference? So your frame of reference is not only do I want my personal objectives to be met, but I also want to be doing it in an organization where I feel as though I'm making a difference. Is that part of it? Yeah, I, it is. I don't think that I really cared as much, honestly, in the past of, I cared about, you know, my customers. I cared about my people, my teammates, for sure. Like, stay up at night over that stuff. But the broader knock-on impact effect of what I'm doing professionally, again, still participating in a big commercial opportunity, can I go and change and transform lives outside of that immediate impact zone? Um, and, and at Multiverse, in this role, it's very much that set of circumstances. Why did you become CRO? Why did you want to become CRO? Over time, the kind of magnitude and scope of my roles has, has grown. So I think um, there's a time where, you know, you no, nothing replaces experience, by the way. We can talk about stretching young leaders because I, I was the beneficiary of, of, um, of leadership that believes in that. We can talk about that, stretching to these roles, getting into them early, perhaps too early. Um, but for, for me, I, I always kind of, Reaching for the stars, I think, in a lot of ways, um, uh, so that so that I don't become bored. Maybe there's some subconscious thing in there that I, you know, I want to take on more and more. But um, um, I've I've grown in these roles, and so I, I feel like I've seen more. Um, you know, Carlos talks about you know being a house parked next to a highway. You see a lot of cars right? When your house is getting closer and closer to the highway. And I think that's kind of analogous to just racking up experience and being able to um, face, you know, all these different situations. And so if there's an opportunity to go and lead more functions, which the CRO um, in a lot of cases has got more cross-functional ownership and go to market, you know, that's an interesting thing to take on. And so I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's really important to obviously just give the give our audience a bit of an insight into into your career trajectory, and you know I think it's it's an incredible one, right? I think you know entry into the playbook community was with Mongo with Mongo back in April two thousand and fifteen, where you obviously stepped straight into you know vice president of enterprise, regional vice president for enterprise yeah. sales in the region. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's your first exposure to the the playbook as we know it, right? Help us understand that journey and that point in your career when when you're obviously exposed to the probably Carlos Delatore at that time, right? Yeah, for sure. So so yeah, I, coming into the MongoDB thing, I um, I had what I felt like was great experience, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I had talked about this before. I got, I had a high opinion of my body of work and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and this, this all um, plays into something in a second. And 
I get introduced to Carlos and I didn't know the blade PTC blade logic and, and, um, the crew and all in that history. I didn't, um, I thought MongoDB was interesting and a funny name. And I was like, Ooh, open source. I don't, I don't know. It's <laughs> probably, that's probably a good thing. Um, and I met Carlos and, you know, I, I think you all talked about this with your guests. It's like, you can just tell when people are turned on, um, and the elevator goes to the top floor and there's just, there's just great things that are happening. And with Carlos and I, I met him at a dinner, um, in San Francisco to learn more about the opportunity. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. Like what's this guy's phenomenal. And then getting into that job, you know, this high opinion of myself slowly starts to crawl down a little bit and, and settle because you're surrounded by people that have been through all these really incredible experiences, you know, with that history and, um, high, high intangibles, right. Characteristics of drive, intelligence, coachability, and then really competent and experienced folks. It was humbling. Yeah. Very, very humbling. Yeah. Obviously, for, for for somebody like Carlos, you know, when you look at most of an organization, it's like a MongoDB and most of the organizations within the Playbook community, it's obviously built from meritocracy, right? You learn the foundations of good ent enterprise sales from an SDR perspective. Once you've got those good baseline um, uh, capabilities, then you turn into a good rep and then good reps then turn into leadership through the learning of the Playbook and good go-to-market. Obviously, you miss that chunk to some degree, Right, and yeah. then you're exposed to get straight into a very large role as a as a regional vice president to then teach reps that probably felt at that point that their sales capability was at a very high standard. Talk to us about how you enter into as a leadership into that environment and and how you felt. I came in as a first line leader. Yeah, I was a VP of sales at a Series B, Series C prior to that, based out of New York. Um, in a, in a way, at the time, it felt like, and this, and people face this situation quite a bit. I, I see it at least when I'm interviewing and hiring leaders. Is you know, in some cases you take a step back or take a step down to get into another yeah. situation yeah. that might that might be more favorable, might have you know big bigger odds or or greater outcomes. I did that. Right. I went from this kind of global role, big fish, small pond, to uh, coming in as a first line leader. I was, I was relatively rapidly promoted into second line. Um, I say relative to probably, you know, um, the time that I could have stayed in the first line, time that folks need to stay in the first line. It was abbreviated, which was cool, which is great. Um, but I came in there and um, did a pretty good sized reset with the region that I was responsible for. And I'm surrounded by these folks that I mentioned who I hold in high regard, right? You just tell us just high caliber stuff and, and individuals. Um, and then here's force management that comes in. Kaplan comes in. It's the first workshop and delivery of force management. And Dave <clears throat> had arrived in like, I think mid 2014. And MongoDB was still relatively small um, in early 2015. And I talked about this before. There was like little to no functional difference between the open source version and then the closed uh, uh, enterprise version that we were responsible for selling. So it was not, it was not easy. And this Sahir comes in and like, you know, dominates it, just crushes it. He's incredible. And then takes the product to all sorts of places, including, you know, database as a service and just does an amazing job. But back in my day, um, <laughs> <laughs> selling against free, um, you know, my, my kind of, um, MO at that time was to take everything in. 
you know, I remember like the small room up in New York where Kaplan gets in front of the group and I didn't know who Kaplan was. Like, I didn't know who most of these folks are, but I'm starting to figure out they're pretty damn good. And then Cap is up there just, you know, delivering um, some, some exercise around command of the message and proof points. And um, you could just tell that everybody was there to sharpen the ax right? What, what is the Abe Lincoln? If you give me eight hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend six sharpening my axe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we did. And so I'm just sitting here, you know, participating in that um, and, uh, and taking notes, trying to just memorize everything that I can possibly memorize. And then more importantly, put it into practice, right? Once I got back into the field office. And so the same, that same experience is really what I wanted for folks that were on my team. You know, it's about kind of coaching to that. What do we need to do as a group to develop and sharpen the ax so that we're highly effective in the field, meeting excellence, and we don't, you know, squander at bats. That yeah. was just the frame of mind. Was there a penny drop moment or penny drop deal as within that role where kind of you, you managed to see all the different parts and it really kind of came together and you're like, wow, okay, I've seen this in and I really get it. I um I had hired before, you know I had gotten into leadership early, um and and did some great things, made a lot of mistakes too. You know I, I had great training. I, I don't, the people that know know, but CareerBuilder.com back in the day was um was a great sales culture, like hell bent on development, robust in, in investments and training. We get kind of um in our own world with this ecosystem and think that like, you know, it's sometimes I, I feel this way, that um, this way, this history, this, this you know, ecosystem of greatness is, um, is the pinnacle, it's the only way. I think um, I tend to agree, but there's also, there's also really great experiences and great companies and great methodologies that are outside of this. Um, this fantastic group of people that date back to PTC. But my point is here, this moment for me was when I started to really learn about recruiting, identifying, you know, to an ideal candidate profile, really being able to break up that profile as scientifically and methodically as possible, learning that vocabulary against identifying and attracting um, the best talent that you possibly can and how you go through that and then how you qualify that talent. That for me, there was many, many things that were going on that I was learning, mm. but I was like, ah, okay. How do I, you can't perfect this by the way. And I right. think one of the cool things about Slootman is when you watch his interviews who, you know, <clears throat> um, there's just these valuable lessons everywhere, but he, he admits how challenging hiring is. Mm and that he still makes mistakes around hiring. It's just natural, we're dealing with humans. Yeah. But when I saw the way that this group just clearly articulated and gave frameworks and, and vocab against recruiting, which is the most important thing that you can do as a leader, that was a moment, would you call it a pin drop? Yeah, penny drop. Penny drop? Penny drop. Is that, a, is that like that's a, an English is thing? Is that English it's thing? English thing, so yeah. Okay. That's when the penny drops. Like whistle yeah. stop tour? There we yeah. go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that, that was, I'll call it yeah, mic, yeah, yeah. mic drop moment. Mic drop moment, yeah. That, well, I, was, I was like, ah, okay, I got it. Let me go look through that lens as I, 
you know, address the most important thing that I can do, which is recruit the right people. Has that changed since, since, you know, joining and having that first experience and being, you know, looking out for that sort of talent? Has that changed for you as time has gone by? I think if you look at, you know, the original, you know, the Jeremy Duggans and the, you know, the, the McCluskeys and even John McMahon, by his own admittance, really, you know, challenged people in those interviews. He ripped people's CVs up. He's really testing for that yeah. grit and yeah. everything else. You know, did you start that way? And has that changed? Maybe you can give us a bit of insight into that. I, I don't think I, I mean, I certainly knew the criticality of hiring um, prior to that time, but not in the way that it was positioned through training, through QBRs. And this was really cool back in, in this time period in MongoDB's history, um, John McMahon was very, very active. He was at all of the leader QBRs, um, <clears throat> you know, it's been, at least a week, if not two weeks, a quarter with the sales leadership team. It was, it was awesome. And, um, and I, I talked to, he had reached out, he texted me, um, saying, Hey, I'm writing a blog and I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to pick your brain on, on something. Do you, do you have a minute? I was like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out he wasn't writing a blog. <laughs> writing, a, writing a book, right? A book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so that that was really cool. I think like changing from that. No, I mean uh, it's still you know the most important thing that you can do. It's it's the part that you you certainly won't perfect, but you wanna you wanna try to get it right as right as you can, not only for yourself and the company, but for the individuals that um, might might join your team hiring, right? Yeah. Um, the evolution for me is the is the leadership in the way that I connect with folks because I'm um, apparently and <laughs> I self reflect on this, but third party validated. I'm pretty analytical right. and I'm pretty rigorous, and um, you know I recognize through a number of experiences, especially with Dolly, um, through his coaching, through his leadership, I had areas to round out. And, and in leadership and um, the, I'll pause there. That's kind of been an evolution for me. Yeah. So what is your interview style? Does it, does it change and does it vary? Or do you go in there with a set, set of questions, has a, a, a beginning, a middle and end? What, maybe you can give us a bit of insight into. So, so I had, I talked about this um, with, uh, with cats. Um, you know, it, it hasn't changed. I, I think the most important thing is just to have a connection. Um, Sorry, I'm like looking above the bar for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Sit up. Um, <laughs> I, I, I need to. Um, but, I, you know, I think it's still, <clears throat> you, you know, there's just, there's a connection that needs mm. to be established. And I think sometimes folks just dive in. It's so hard not to talk about like key achievements and history and like, why, you know, why did you do what you did? Um, but I do like to connect with folks and um, I do like to understand the early years of life. I do, and the I think the easier way to do that is for me to, you know, say hello, develop some rapport, and then say, if you don't mind, like I'll tell you my story, and I'm going to go way back, and um, I don't want to give you a full bio, but I want to give you some insight, and then if you don't mind, will you reciprocate? And I like to start there, because that you know those those formative years are the most influential in my mind. Um, and again, it's not to like try to psychoanalyze what it was like with mom or dad or mm. siblings or, but you know, the circumstances in which folks come up and um, 
how that shapes and molds them is pretty obvious. Like it's, it's a great thing and you, you can really understand motivation. And then you start getting into, you know, why they did the things that they did as we start to enter the professional part of their lives. Right. Um, and I'm just looking for the design and the choices and, um, what, what makes them tick, what, what's behind that drive. What's like, what is the gas in the tank? Um, this is the second time that I've plugged him. You talked to Mike about why. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And remember he had that story about um, somebody that he kind of took a, a bet on who was early in his career. Yeah. And uh, that person started to flail a little bit, was having too much fun in Manhattan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember yeah, the story? Yeah, 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 cool, yeah, yeah. Ernest, where you at? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and, you know, Mike remembered the conversation that they had around like the student loan debt and what this person was trying to accomplish. And Mike was able to go back to that. Mm. And it's not like in a manipulative way, it's a very natural thing, right? Like when you go and you, you get a job, especially I think if you're playing for a championship, this is the most important decision that you can make next to going to the altar, right? So I get into those years, I understand them and I really understand the design and the intention behind the choices professionally and personally. Nice. Is that, a, is that a tweak that you kind of adopted or is that something that was kind of shared with you? Because that's a slightly different interpretation to what we've heard, but it's it's obviously very congruent. But just wondering if that's that was it, that in, the intentional nature of that was your own interpretation or something that was given to you. I think that it is a pretty organic, natural thing to do, right? Just out of curiosity, I would say that, um, you know, there's there's an authentic curiosity that I have for people's stories. If I'm going to go and spend, and they're going to spend a lot of time in a um, in a mission critical stage of our life, right? I feel that way about, about what we do professionally. It's, it's, it's mission critical. Then, you know, I think it's natural to want to understand that. But to, to answer your question, you know, I, I was reinforced, I think, in even greater detail and greater story and greater context by um, those leaders and John included. Um, I mean, even just having a dinner with him one night in New York, we were with a group, but we were seated next to each other. And he started to get into my story. Um, and, you know, <laughs> John was like math and engineering um, in terms of education. And I was an English major. And he just, he started laughing and asked, you know, about English major and then why, why that? And <laughs> so I just tried to explain how it actually was beneficial for me. And it had application to, um, to what I do professionally. I feel like explaining that to you all now, but I'm not going, I'm going to like, here's why English major actually works. Um, but then, you know, he started to go back and to understand like, what'd your dad do? What about your mom? You have siblings? Tell me about that. And as I was kind of describing that, you know, you could tell that probably for him and for anybody that gets to learn about somebody, and now you're in the present day context or you face a situation, you revert back to that and you're like, oh, that's, that's why you operate a little bit the way that you do, mm. or that's why you operate the way that you do in a lot of ways is because of that. Oh, you're fiercely competitive with your brother. He's only 22 months older. Okay, cool. Uh, your dad did this or this or this, or you came 
up without this or this or this. You have to fight for this. Or you didn't have to fight for this. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's yeah. very, very informative. Have you ever hired somebody that's shown a lot of those characteristics and, you know, of grit, determination and all those sort of things, but then not necessarily Didn't gone work out? And, well, even not worked out, I'm thinking it's more, but then have gone on to other opportunities, worked at other software companies, had some experience in, in the market, but may not necessarily have been successful. And it not necessarily down to them as an individual, but maybe their surroundings, the mentorship or whatever it may be. Have you ever hired somebody that has all the right, you know, attributes and, but not necessarily got the performance or are you looking for the performance as well? So, um, if you break the, the profile up into three buckets, there's the intangibles, there's the competencies and there's the experience. And so what you're saying is like in, in the face of somebody being light on the experience or the accolades or the accomplishments, how do you, how do you kind of make a decision Absolutely. based on that profile? That's exactly what I wanted to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm surprised and I'm like firing on like two of my eight cylinders right now because <laughs> it's so damn early in Dallas right now. Just hang in there. Okay. Right. Right. Six so, more than me, so you're doing good. <laughs> I, um, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned earlier that um, I have been a beneficiary and I've seen a lot of this. Um, you know, Dolly's got a cr really incredible um, ecosystem of talent that he has kind of developed and, and stretched leaders or stretched people in the roles, regardless I see or leaders kind of early, right? Um, which, which I think is really cool and effective. Sometimes it's not, but in most cases it is, right? If you, if you, kind of know what you're doing and where to develop. But if there's somebody that doesn't have a ton of experience or a ton of accolades, there's some risk that you're taking on to a degree. But if they have just the killer intangibles, which are, I think in my mind, non-negotiable. Mm. So um, intelligent, um, for sure. Let's put, it in, let's put it in the order of priority. Drive, number one. There's a lot underneath drive. What is someone trying to prove? What is someone trying to avoid? Um, but driven, driven, if smart enough and coachable enough, the smart enough thing is about, can you pick up what I'm leaving behind, right? Because I'm going to go and I'm going to coach and the company's going to coach and the world and our circumstances are going to teach you things. Can you learn that knowledge and develop that skill? That's kind of the intelligence part. It's not... There's a combination of street smart and book smart. But let's say those intangibles are there. Yes, you can you can go and stretch somebody. And um, you know, I didn't know about the database until I got into, you know, the database, mm. right? I didn't have experience <laughs> in that way. I didn't have top ranked deep tech software selling experience prior to MongoDB. And um, I think Carlos and um, had seen that, you know, the intangibles are there. There's, there's some good competencies. We'll work on them. Mm. Um, but there's, there's enough. But I, I also see, and I'll, I'll pause after this. I see folks that, you know, nothing replaces experience. Someone said that to me when I was like 23 and probably six months into my job wanting a promotion, <laughs> you know, I'm like, let's, what's next? It's like, you, the experience matters. Your car being closer to, or your house being close to that highway, yeah, yeah, yeah. so you can see more and more cars. Um, so you, there is some caution that I would, you know, throw to this whole topic. But yeah, I mean, it's incredibly progressive to think 
even back then that they were willing to what well, so Carlos in this in this case was willing to welcome people outside of the lineage and take calculated risks in this way and build this this kind of ecosystem of excellence and still continue that i mean it's it, it is it is it is amazing my question to you is is how is this now shaping the leader that you are trying to become and i want to focus a little bit more on what 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 type of an organization are you trying to build now at multiverse sure well i i'll make it let me make a comment about the leadership team for example here in the uk <clears throat> um that i think goes back ollie to what you were bringing up um and simon plays into this question so like you know i i come into an organization and really try to understand who's in what seat right and what the strengths are behind that person get to know them and understand you know if there's some gaps that that i can help um or the company can help support and develop and um and i i come in and i'm kind of understanding the uk team because uh, i'm just i'm used to just making changes because it's fresh eyes you know fresh eyes on a deal so to speak yeah but this this team in the uk for the most part is earlier in their careers but um they are phenomenal i mean you talk about the intangibles of drive intelligence coachability um and highly competent you know in in the in in the situation of like racking up the experience now yeah but um wow are they are they phenomenal in that way so you know carlos with with me was yeah he knew that i wasn't from that um that kind of history that they had that shared history that they had and i thought that was really cool for him to understand my story and and say hey there's probably something that you know he can bring to the table and um add value and and if if i was willing to learn what they were you know pick up what they were leaving behind so you but you asked sorry you'd asked about like the evolution for me as a leader well yeah just continue on what what you've just said obviously I'll kind of reflect on what you've just said. So obviously, multiverse. Jeremy Duggan is yeah. a is a phenomenal yeah. hirer. And is that word hirer? Recruiter? It is a word now. It's another word. <laughs> it is now. It is now. He's, a, he's, he's a phenomenal recruiter. Yeah. Um, those that know Jeremy will also say that he is quite strong in his recruitment style. Um, but what's left behind is you you're only going to get exceptional that get through that process, hence why he builds his amazing teams. Now, you've inherited that, mm -hmm. and now you're trying to kind of work with that. Yeah. What are you trying to do now at Multiverse to help take them to the next level, and what kind of leader are you trying to become within that environment to kind of take this organization to where it can get Sure. I, so I'll, I'll answer the question, but I'll say it's independent of the history. Mm -hmm. it, it is like independent of uh, the greatness that, that Jeremy built and, and, and what he does and, and the folks. I'm, I'm fortunate and a beneficiary of everything that, that he and others have done um, at Multiverse. But the comments that I'll make will be independent of that because I don't want it to seem like, you know, well, there's an overhaul of this or that. Yeah. Or it's, you know, a complete revision. It's, it's not. But there is going to be a natural evolution. For me, um, you know, we are rapidly growing, right? So there's a big kind of build period. We'll continue to build. Now it's how do we scale effectively? 
You know, how do we have an environment where as we go out and we double capacity, we still maintain best in class per rep productivity, participation rates, um, and, you know, we, we capture the market at a rapid pace where people are doing well. And I would say the, the part that I'm about to say is most important in, in the answer, that it, it is a um, gratifying, entertaining environment at the same time. So that's what I'm focused on is the cultural aspect of it. And I talked earlier about, you know, watch out for high attachment, high attachment. Um, and I want to make sure that people realize that we are not curing cancer and we are not walking on Mars here. Like, let's put this into perspective. Okay. And um, there is going to be a natural amount of intensity and pressure when you have a really big opportunity in front of you. Um, but we can do that and do it extremely well and be very rigorous about it and still enjoy our time together. I can't guarantee that all of it's gonna be enjoyable, um, but that is a, just that idea, that notion is extremely important to me. And so when I'm recruiting, I'm looking for people that wanna win in a really big way and wanna leave little to nothing, to chance, right? Um, but I also want to make sure that they culturally um, kind of enrich what we've got going on. And um, I think you can execute a really high level and have a good time at the same time. Do you think that the investment at the beginning of the process to really understand what makes a person work, you know, you, you mentioned what's the gas in the in, in the tank, does that also then allow you to then adapt the way that you motivate individuals? Because you, you talk about gratification, but every person has different motivations, different yeah. desires, different things that give them gratification. How much do you intentionally adjust what that looks like for the individual? Or is it about a collective win? I, I think, you know, the your, your recognition is, is everything. I, I don't know... As much as they might, a person might say that, oh, I don't, you know, I don't like the shine. I don't like the limelight. Like I, parts of that may be true. Recognition works. It's, um, it's, a, it's a really powerful thing, especially when you do it with authenticity and you do it, um, you know, where, where, where it's deserved. And so I think that um, that is a big part of our culture is, you know, having a culture of meritocracy matters, having the recognition um, that, that, that coincides with that is really powerful on the individual level. Yes. You, you're going to see things that make one person tick that don't perhaps with another. Right. And so tailoring, um, your leadership to, uh, to the individual is big too. Mm. Hopefully, hopefully that answered. It does. It does very much. So, yeah. Well, so you got into leadership fairly early on into your career, right? We're often asked, when is the right time to step into leadership? And, you know, what are the considerations about stepping into leadership? What advice can you give some of our viewers about, you know, the right time to get into leadership? Uh, when when you want your life to change, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have uh, John and the, the group talks about you have two six-year-olds. Right. You have two kids, nine and seven. Yeah. Seven, yeah. I mean... 
there's this, maybe this isn't controversial, but who cares? It's like, okay, you're going to take on a team of five. Do you want five more kids? Not that they're kids or behave yeah. like you want five more. It's the, the gravity of the responsibility as a leader, right? Um, because it's not, it's not about you. It's about them. It's about, you know, what you can do to develop them, to teach not just the what, but to teach how, how to do well on the job have an inspirational environment, coach skill, right? Install accountability. Those are big things to do. And in so many, I think as, as the first line leader, the first line layer of a company goes, so goes the company, right? So you've got to be really, really strong uh, throughout your leadership ranks, but that first jump into leadership is hopefully probably going to be first line leadership. You've got to recruit the right people. You've got to develop and retain them, and you've got to go out and execute. There's a way that first lines can get a lot of support from their second line leaders. There's a lot of ways that a second line can support a first line, but it's taking on that responsibility. And so you have to be in a position in your life to to invest that kind of time. And um, and can you coach what makes people successful in the IC mm. role before that? Can you identify and attract the right talent? You know what I mean? That's that's number one. And so um, jump in and, and find a doctor leadership about the prospects of it, but it's a heavy, it's a heavy responsibility. Because I think, you know, it's it's obviously a, a great thing for your personal self-esteem to be asked to step into leadership, mm -hmm. right? Because somebody's obviously, you know, seen something in you. They want to, you know, continue to support that. And as you say, you know, gratification and feeling good about the job you do is, is, is obviously a big driver. But being able to say no must be, you know, a tough thing to do in that situation, right? You know, so it's kind of how do you, what do you need to do? What are the steps you go through to take out, is this the right move for me? You know, is it? Some of those things that you've said, or so so for somebody to decide if they want to get yeah. into leadership, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's for them to you know um, figure out if they are going to dedicate the necessary time and mm. and resources to um, to the things that I mentioned, right? Mm. About recruiting people, about developing them, producing the results, um, and so. Um, I've, I've found that there's kind of a natural gravitation for folks that are uh, that are natural leaders to get into those roles. Yeah, you know, the company will tap leaders, but I've found that um, those potential leaders just rise up and raise their hand, put themselves in these positions through what they do and demonstrating mastery of the job that they're in as an IC. Um, plus some hand waving and, and not, not, in a, not in a bad way, but you, you have to. Like sometimes you just have to provoke the conversation. If you're eager to get into leadership, it's really about mastering the job that you're in to an obvious degree. That's first and foremost. Yeah. And then at the same time, you, you, you know, raise your hand in an appropriate way. Talk to leadership. Um, and I, I think those things for natural born leaders happen in that way. But if you're wondering, that's my, my two cents yeah. on it. 
So obviously you've, you've stepped into um, MongoDB 2015. Obviously you stayed there for best part of three and a half years. Obviously moved on to VP of Global Enterprise at Udacity. Yeah. Then obviously... Dolly G- reached out. GVP Americas. Yeah, it's for at, that one, yeah. At, at Zscaler. Yeah. You know, talk to us about that transition and why you chose Zscaler. Very, very different business profile to MongoDB at that time and also Udacity at that time. Yeah. Larger organization. Yeah. Talk to us about why you made that decision of, you know, joining Zscaler. Well, first, now, this this could be a lesson to folks that are, that are watching. Like, Dolly reached out um, over LinkedIn directly to me, right? Which, if you're if you're a hiring manager, the most important thing you can do for the fifteenth time is recruit the right people, right? <laughs> okay, I'm looking in the camera. If you haven't got that right, <laughs> yeah. If I haven't um, reiterated that, yeah. But um, so you t- you take matters into your own hands. You partner really well with recruiting resources, huh? Partner really well with them, but the ultimate accountability is on you. Dolly reached out. He could have had I don't know fifteen people reach out to me, right? But he reached out and I, that was awesome. And so we spoke and I was at Udacity doing really well. I had built the enterprise. We had built the enterprise business really rapidly at, at, at um, Udacity. I'm back in that space, by the way. So I've returned mm. to that space. Yeah. Okay. Key point. But yeah. um, I'm there. We're doing we're doing very, very well. Um, and, and, but Dolly reached out and I was like, you know, <clears throat> Here's a company that IPO'd probably, I think at the time we started talking 14, 15 months ago. The way he was describing it, it was a really great story, but there was a CRO vacancy for quite some time. Um, and the company had really powerful product market, product market sales fit, but it could be taken to the next level. The way that he was describing it, it just kept, it reminded me of MongoDB. It just so happened to be a little bit post IPO. There were really um, cool areas of, of development and opportunity. And if we could go and like turn these knobs and tweak this and fine tune that, it would be a huge unlock for the company. And he was describing it and I was visualizing it. I felt like it was analogous to some stuff that I had done before. Further, he had said, you know, look, I've got all these folks that um, have, uh, there's just a great amount of really strong talent that I've worked with before. I haven't worked with you before you probably have a perspective that you can bring that will help mix things up in a healthy way. And I was like, that's really cool too, right? Um, and then I joined in the world lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Um, but cloud security, the way that I looked at it, I was like, okay, I have an opportunity to learn cloud security, right? I, I learned um, the intricacies of the developer and what the developer cares about. Um, how data platforms can unlock and enable developers, you know, natural intuitive database like MongoDB was really powerful. I started to understand that really well, get into the belly of the infrastructure. Um, and then I get into workforce transformation and then at Udacity and then I'm talking to Dolly and I'm like, I, I want to learn cloud security. I think that is a good way to future proof myself and uh, I'm curious about it. So all of those things that I mentioned, mix yeah. them up. That was That was the reason that I went. Sure, because, you know, stepping into an organization running America's Zscaler back in 2000, how many sort of, what was the the, the matrix of that organization that you were looking after? So so when I I came in, it was 2020 and um, literally the the world was, you know, locking down. Um, 
and figuratively, but most literally yeah, yeah. <laughs> is locking down. Yeah. And that, that was, um, I came in third line and had the Americas a, a, a few, few quarters roughly later. Right. Yeah. So, but that was really interesting. I actually called John. I was like, um, so I'm coming in as an external third line, um, big area West Trevor Mallon, shout out, runs it now. Mm, yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but that was kind of like my, uh, kind of pilot trial period of come in, learn the product, learn the company, learn the market before stepping into the America's role. And um, doing that where I don't have any interaction. I'd flown out to corporate to meet with executives and stuff like that before the lockdown. But that I called John, I was like, I'm, uh, I'm in a really interesting position trying to build internal champions as an external third line, which is there's kind of like a heat lamp on that. It's like, who's who's this external hire that's, you know, cause usually you try to promote into that job from within. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he gave me some great advice on how to manage that situation. What was some of that advice, can I ask? Yeah, sure. Um, so some things that stuck out from from him and, and you know, from, from others, but I, I recall that conversation pretty well. You know, there, there is a small group of folks uh, and maybe this this helps people in other situations that are similar, but there's a small group of folks, perhaps, no matter what you do, like they're just going to go about their way. They, they may be detractors. They may be proponents. You, you just don't know. So, you know, give yourself some, some room to breathe. Mm -hmm. But uh, people want to win. People want to win. So you come into the role, you've got to look at helping people get to their wins. That's, that's really, you know, don't worry so much about your style. The, the real killers, the real winners, they want to win. They don't care as much about that. So <clears throat> how can I help develop competency? How can I help even on the deal front? How can I fine-tune recruiting? How can I fine-tune the relationship between the SE and the AE, rules of engagement, process, execution, just wins. Mm. They rack up and that's a great way to win hearts and minds. And that was kind of at the core of, some of his advice. So to, so talk to build champions you, internally, yeah, right? And those internal champions and, and, and talk to us about that. So you go through, you've obviously built out your matrix, you know, you're, you know, the most influential people within that org and within your org, it starts there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then, which then helps them transcend down, right? How yeah. can you help them win? Right. And yeah, I think, especially when I, when I get into the America's role I mean, and that's, that's, you know, again, that's a big, it's a big job. Mm. Um, the, the company previously was the uh, majority of revenue was coming international. It's a US-based software company where international was the majority of the revenue. And then myself and the other leaders were like, let's, let's flip that on its mm. head. Let's, let's have an yeah, yeah. America first. <laughs> America first. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, majority of the revenue. Um, but so the cross-functional leaders and the interactions and relationships with cross-functional leaders is obviously very critical. And so being able to work with them and partner with them and add value to what they're doing um, is a big part of, you know, when you're in that job to make sure that all components of the machine, all components of the team are, are you know, humming together, rowing together. And so I was deliberate about, um, you know, having connections with those folks, which is not easy because mm. you're not going to agree 100% mm. of the time. Well, you got cross-functional stakeholders, they're measured you know, you should have some very common measurements, but they have their own measurements too. And like, you know, there's some healthy, healthy friction there alongside those, 
those relationships. Are there key things that you're tracking that are kind of, these are the one or two things that I always look out for when you're kind of managing a team like that? I, I yeah, for sure. There's a lot. There's a lot, especially with the big org, right? Um, you can get very analytical and, um, and you can get, you can become a spreadsheet leader pretty damn quick. And in some cases, you got to be really strong at that, right? Because you got to see around the corner. You got to be good at pattern recognition. So yeah. I, I was just really wanting to understand between cohorts of ramping individuals that were newer to the company and those that are ramps, let's say a year and beyond, how were they performing and what were the patterns across participations? Uh, so participation rate, the percent of the folks that are at or above quota. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at you know the percent of the org that has less than 3x coverage. So what is it about their, um, how can I support them to be more able to meet the market, right? And mm -hmm. generate opportunities. Um, so yeah, you look at coverage, you look at participation, you look at different cohorts, and, um, and then you start to kind of study effectiveness. What are the best people doing? What are the patterns across those best people? Can I skip level down to folks that are doing really well? And then I also want to skip level down to ramping folks that haven't quite built their business. We have high belief in them. We hired them. What can I learn from them about their journey? And then go back to enablement and say, hey, I think we got some stuff that we could tweak for folks that are new to us. Um, so it's a combination of analysis and judgment and skipping down and getting closer to the street, especially when you're at the fourth line is like the biggest thing that you can do in my experience. The skip levels are huge. How do you prioritize those? As you said, there is lots of different jobs there to do. Yeah. How do you prioritize the order that you're going to go and execute on that? Because you clearly can't execute all of those at once. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you, you, you develop a management operating rhythm around these critical categories, right? Um, so I, I find, I don't, I, I can't, I won't lay out my MOR to you inside of a 12 week period right now. But, um, <laughs> you can try in five minutes, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm just conscious of the critical categories that, that I need to understand. And I've, I've covered these before, but there's indicators behind them. I, I would say that, you know, if I talk about prioritization, actually talking to people at the street level right? The team members that um, interface with the customer and the market, that is, the, that is a priority. I, I can't, no matter what level you're at, if you don't have an intimate understanding of what they're experiencing, because the best organizations, they can have killer products, but the best organizations provision behind sales because sales is in the streets doing the knife fighting and um, delighting the customers and running into objections and all of that, right? So, I want to know that experience really well. If I know that experience really well, um, I'm going to be sharper in my judgment and I'll, I'll look for patterns probably in a smarter way. So in a way, it starts from the bottom up rather than the top down. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the who, yeah, and how they're doing and what's working, what's not working and mitigating risk across all of that, right? It's not just enhancement, but it's identifying risk and can I get out in front of that? That person had an experience like that. How often is that happening somewhere else? So are you getting out, are you going directly to the front line or are you, are you discovering that through your first and second line leaders to get access to that information? I, I mean, I personally would have a, a skip level document down to the AE level. So there were folks that I had identified and leaders had identified 
who I, I needed to talk to. They were either doing really well or another example of a cohort would be folks that are new to the company. So I want to understand what it's like to build and how, how can we help? How can we do better? Hmm. Um, so no, it's, it's down to the IC level and I would just track it and I'd have spreadsheets for my comments, right? And then I'd go back and figure out, okay, but now how can I help based on that feedback? But you got, you got to be methodical and, 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 and budget that's, I guess, methodical in the way of budgeting the time for it. Yeah. Right. I, the lockdown, I couldn't get on planes. It was, such mm. a, it was a disadvantage for yeah, sure, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. the best way is to get out in the field, go run the meetings with them. Yeah. There's a healthy portion of that time at Zscaler where there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of flights. So Yeah, obviously, um, you're now operating as the CRO of Multiverse. Again, congratulations on the first CRO gig. Um, but, but how did that opportunity get presented to you and why did you choose Multiverse? So someone reached out about the opportunity on on behalf of the company like brought brought it to me and um and I, I had tracked multiverse and what jeremy was doing just kind of through you know paying attention um and and reading about it and i was at udacity before and dolly reached out and so i went and jumped to that opportunity um and and this is my return to this space of, kind of workforce transformation mm. which is which you know transformation is kind of a hollow word now because it's just overused it's overplayed but it's a very real thing right um the company is in a very powerful position um well-funded has uh, over a thousand customers um these are some of the most you know scrutinizing um best in class industry leading employers across the world that that are our customers um there's a there's a pattern in the world where you can see that we are not producing enough skilled talent into the workforce right there's a massive skills gap across uh industries and it's rearing its head in in a lot of ways but um there's a shortage of talent supply and there is skills obsolescence that's taking place in the face of technology, automation, AI. Um, so that's a, um, that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> we, mm. we need people to have relevant up-to-date skill sets to be able to produce and, um, and for companies to maintain competitive advantages and have value in what they do. They need the right people with the right skill sets. Multiverse has this modern approach to upskilling and reskilling the workforce through apprenticeships. We believe that learning is through working, right? Mm -hmm. The traditional path of, oh, I've got to go and get a degree in order to qualify to do a job or to get started, you know, in my professional journey. That's just not the case. It's not the case now, um, for sure. So we have a unique approach where we um, we provide best-in-class training across critical technology domains, and we do that um, under an apprenticeship structure. And we believe in equitable access to economic opportunity, and we unlock that. Um, so we have kind of three core pillars of the market that we help address. A is, is this early talent, folks that come from um, difficult backgrounds, underrepresented segments, marginalized segments that don't have you know, the, the funding or the access to universities to go and get that degree, if the degree even makes mm -hmm. sense, right? Um, furthermore, like the, the corporate opportunities, those aren't very well exposed um, in, in, you know, certain areas of the community. It's just not um, as, as pronounced those opportunities as they should be. Um, 
So we have an early talent component of our business where we will take great talented individuals, put them through a screening process, and then um, place them in apprenticeships across the world's best employers. And that's a 12-month journey where they get to learn through the job um, while we continue to coach them and train them. And they have, you know, a, a great um, kind of protocol and curriculum with their hiring manager that we help guide. We, we also take existing employees, which, which is awesome. We mm. have some of the coolest, most powerful, life-changing um, apprenticeship experiences with early talent that couldn't go to university, didn't necessarily have the right type of access to the corporate opportunities. Boom, we put them in that position and they convert to full-time employees or 93% of our apprentices convert to full-time employees, add a ton of value to the company. The company's extremely grateful for that. Um, you know, to, to bring that fresh talent and put them in a position to grow. And then we change their lives, right? So the other part is existing employees. Existing employees are in frontline positions, for example. So if you're a retail worker, hospitality, um, even on an assembly line that's, you know, about to transform into an automated assembly line, big robots and machines taking over. It's like those employees um, have an opportunity. They're talented, they're smart. If we can take them, you know, down a, uh, a data literacy track, software engineering track, um, and put them into those uh, paths to take advantage of these opportunities of the future, that's huge. It's huge for them. It's huge for the company. It's big for the world. Um, we do that as well. We upskill existing employees. We'll reskill existing employees. That's the core of our business. As I dug into it, and I look at Ewan Blair, mm -hmm. my boss, founder, CEO incredible person. He is out to change the world. And um, that is, there's no BS about it. It's a mm -hmm. very real thing, what we're doing. It's a massive market opportunity too. It is. We can unlock a ton of economic opportunity for individuals and companies. I looked at him, looked at the executives, the board, um, the rest of the team, because it really is whoever what. Like I'm about yeah. to jump in, go to the altar with these folks. What are yeah. they like? Are they willing? Are they capable? And, uh, that among many other things that's in my wild criteria i'm like mm. this is this is awesome i'm gonna go do this so what's the audacious growth plans for you guys now then so we're we're growing you know hi hyper growth um I, I reference a study all the time mckinsey grow faster die slower we're, we're in that category right 60 70 percent um type of revenue growth we're doing that we're doubling sales capacity so we're hiring like crazy and um, our core markets of the UK and the US will enter additional international markets at the same time. And um, we've got a path, I think, in, in kind of a rare trajectory um, growth rates to, to get to 500 million in pretty quick order. Amazing. Fantastic. And yeah, cool. not just 500 million, you know, it's not just about the top line. Meanwhile, we will affect hundreds of thousands of lives. Hmm. Right. That's, I mean, it's, it's, it's real. I can, I'm doing this for a reason. We're doing this for a reason. And, um, it, it makes you jump out of bed in the morning. That part of it, forget oh, the top line growth. Yeah. I think it's as clear as day that, you know, this opportunity means more than just a job to you. Yeah. Right. I think you've been able to clearly demonstrate, you know, the importance of this. And I think the fortunate position that you're in, that you've got such great 
sales acumen. You've worked with some great organizations that have done some great for organizations from a technology standpoint. But as you say, this is really kind of a, you know, a moral you know, change opportunity yeah. for you to really do some good in the world and, and probably leave a great legacy if you do something well for it. I'm, I'm hoping so. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for that. Uh, absolutely. Well. Oh, yeah, of it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. It's the suit. It matches. It matches. It matches. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We going, did that on purpose. I'm going back to the office right. and we've got a full day of, of uh, cross-functional VP QBRs. I'm Love coming that. in with this on. Love it. Carl, yeah. Last time we saw Carlos in Vegas, he did exactly the same. He was actually noticed on the plane uh, with one of the hats on. So, Is uh, that right? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a big thing now. It's, it's own, thing. and only it's gets get it. So uh, it's, it's a privilege. <laughs> Love it. Well, this is the point where we actually reflect on what we've spoken about. And at the at the start of this uh, this session, we we spoke a little bit about you know the changing of the guard and you know the old versus the new. But the reality is is that things do evolve. But at the same time, a lot of those kind of guiding principles, especially especially around talent about recruiting and understanding the criticality of being the best possible recruiter, especially if you've got aspirations to kind of make it to the top of the tree and become a CRO or, or whatever your aspirations, whether you're a first line or second line leader, your ability to attract, to identify, and then by laying the right foundations and investing your your efforts in really understanding your talent and nurturing your talent, really understanding what it is that makes them tick, and then being able to kind of differentiate when necessary, whilst also kind of aligning them to a bigger purpose. That's when you really start to create transformational outcomes. And I think you know it's been great to to hear your story, uh, Alex. Obviously, um, really appreciate you coming into. Our, our, our brand new studio. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's a beautiful space. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And um, we're very much looking forward to, to to watching your journey blossom. And best of luck on your on your on your first CRO gig. And yeah, really looking forward to to seeing how things transpire for you. So thank, thank you. you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. Enjoyed it. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our various channels. YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. All the links are in the uh, description below, and we look forward to welcoming you back for another session soon. Thank you so much.